Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Lord, we thank you for the way that um, we can enter boldly into your presence by the work of Jesus. Lord, we um, praise you and thank you that we are not alone, that you are with us. And Lord, we thank you that you continue to speak to us by your spirit and speak to us by your word. And I pray now that you would do that, that you, Holy Spirit, would open the scriptures to us. Help us to hear what you, Father, are saying to us. Lord, we pray that you would empower the preaching of your word, the hearing of your word, and the responding to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can open your Bibles to Psalm 85. And as you'll remember, um, those of you that were here last week, um, Pastor Dave reminded, no, that was me. I preached last week. Well, one of these weeks recently, Pastor Dave reminded us. (laughs) The weeks, they kind of go together. Yes? Anybody else? All right. Um, Comic relief. All right. Um, He reminded us that we are, other than going through a series or going through a particular book of the Bible, the pastors, the preaching pastors are praying and seeking the Lord for messages. And so last week we looked at the fear of the Lord, and this week we're going to be looking at how righteousness goes before revival. And so Psalm 85 You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God God for sure. I want to tell you a story about William McKay. He was born in Scotland in 1839, and at the age of 17, he left his Scottish home to go and study medicine in Edinburgh. His godly mother gave him a Bible 
and wrote a scripture in the front of that Bible as she sent him off to his studies. Well, he began his studies well, but as time went on, more and more he strayed from his upbringing. He had been raised as a Christian. He began drinking heavily while he was in medical school, and at a really low point in his life, he pawned off that Bible that his mom had given him for money for whiskey. Well, when he graduated from medical school, his first assignment was in a hospital emergency room. And as I read this story, I just recognized that emergency rooms are different now than they were then. But there's this in common. They encounter human suffering on a regular basis. And as he, as Dr. McKay, became acquainted with human suffering, he occasionally would witness that there was a big difference between people who came in suffering and were Christians and those who were suffering as non-Christians. He said he didn't think it was different or unusual for him to be able to see that because he did grow up in a Christian home and was raised by godly parents. His own mom had helped him pray to receive Christ as a young boy, and she prayed often for her son. Yet the older that Dr. McKay grew, the more wicked he became, and he believed himself to be in danger of being an infidel, an unbeliever. McKay's story is unfortunate, but regrettably relatable. Many of us have experienced times, perhaps even now, of starting down a path with one sin and then repeating and repeating, and suddenly we have a problem and it troubles us deeply. We lack peace. We feel stuck. For others, maybe this doesn't sound as familiar for your own story, but you think about your siblings. You think about your friends. You think about your children. Or maybe you think about your parents. They used to walk with the Lord, but they've grown further and further away from him. And sin is definitely having a negative impact on their lives and on their relationships. Many in our country would still say that they're Christians, yet they're not walking according to scripture. And the culture around us is growing darker and darker with all manner of brokenness and pain and anger, and unrighteousness. Sin corrupts, sin entangles, sin destroys. Pastor and author Tim Keller explains it in this way, a simple fact or law of the universe is this, when you violate God's design for creation, or for your body, or for relationships, When you violate God's design in any way, you unleash forces of disintegration and chaos. He says this is true on every level. The Heidelberg Catechism describes this disintegration and chaos as the misery of sin. So no wonder Dr. McKay's world and his life was in chaos in the 1800s. No wonder that parts of the church and much of our world is in chaos now. The world that the psalmist wrote in at his time was also in chaos again. And this is what led the psalmist to writing this 
National Lament of Psalm 85. I want us to look just a little closer at Psalm 85. It has three parts. Verses 1 to 3 is really past tense. Verses 4 to 7 is present tense. And then verses 8 and on is looking towards the future. And so verses 1 to 3 recalls God's previous deliverance and restoration from their past sins. God had been angry with sin, and God's anger is always an expression of his righteousness. God forgave and covered the sin of the people. His anger turned away. Again, evidence of his righteousness. God restored his people. This is his righteousness. These are things he had done for them before because of their past sin. Now, verses 4 to 7 is a prayer lamenting the effects of their current sin. They acknowledge their misery as a result of God's displeasure. They acknowledge that they've acted in ways that have elicited God's anger. They acknowledge that they haven't been rejoicing in God. And they admit that they're in a bad situation again because of their unfaithfulness, which is implied through verse 8. And yet, shamelessly, they ask God for help. Restore us. Revive us. They ask God again to show them his unfailing love. They're stuck in their sin and their misery. And they're saying, revive us. Show us your unfailing love. They know, like all good reformers, that they're constantly in need of being reformed. They need to hear God's word and be shaped back into his likeness through his word. And that's why in verse 8, they're asking and they're waiting for the word of the Lord. Now, verse 8 is kind of interesting. This is They've been praying for themselves corporately, and yet it says, I will listen. And so it seems that it's one of the Levites or one of the priests that's listening on behalf after the people have prayed their prayer, asking for revival and help. And the priest listens and then prophetically relays or recounts God's promises to all who fear the Lord and who don't return to the path of folly. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we talked a little bit about fear of the Lord. And that means to honor, to respect, to worship, and obey God. Those are in verses 8 and 9. Last week, we talked about the two paths in life, the path of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, and the path of the foolish, which was not to fear the Lord. We see these two paths mentioned here. When we take the path of fools, it leads to disintegration and chaos, and it leaves us again in need of deliverance. God had made covenant promises of peace. Chaos is not our spiritual inheritance. You'll note that from verse 8. Supernatural peace replaces disintegration and chaos when we turn to the Lord. He does that for us, even if the circumstances remain unchanged or very difficult. Now, of course, Jesus didn't sin, but we can see that he had supernatural peace, but he didn't even have a place to lay his head, right? So you can have supernatural peace when you're walking in the path of wisdom. 
God will save and deliver those who acknowledge their sin and ask God to restore and revive them, who ask God to save them, verse 9. And then as God's love and faithfulness, righteousness and peace work together, the character of God is fully at work, verse 10. And as a result, faithfulness springs up from the earth, even as God looks down in righteousness, in verse 11. When God reveals his love, and remember, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, right? And so as he reveals his love, his children once again turn from their sin and express their love to him, their adoration, their worship, their fearing him again, and he restores and revives them. And then it says in verse 9 that his glory will dwell in the land again and the harvest will be brought in in verse 12. And I think that that sometimes means literal because he's caused a famine as a consequence of sin. I think this also could possibly be metaphorically understood to bring that when the church is revived, that suddenly the harvest will come in because we'll be sent out again. We'll be eager to go out. Righteousness goes before and prepares the way, it says in verse 13. So I want to talk for just a minute about God's righteousness. What does that mean, God's righteousness? Well, it's hard to define, but it includes his holiness, his goodness, and his justice. It includes God's loving faithfulness to all his covenant promises. God's righteousness is God's perfection. The righteousness of God is evident in the way that he consistently acts in accordance to his own character. God always acts righteously. Every action is consistent with who he is. God is always consistently godly. Amen? God is not defined by the term righteous as much as the term righteous is defined by God. God is not measured by the standard of righteousness. God sets the standard of righteousness. So God's righteousness is all of who he is wrapped up. That's God's righteousness, his goodness, his holiness, his character. When we deviate from the standard, what's the standard of righteousness? God. So whenever we aren't reflecting as his image bearers, who he is, then it unleashes, as Keller said, these forces of disintegration and chaos. And it's God's righteousness, his faithfulness, his covenant promises, even while holding a standard of justice, that he goes before and graciously brings conviction of sin and prepares the way for repentance and revival and restoring us back to peace and righteousness. This can happen at a corporate level, a group level. It can happen at an individual level. But as um, revival happens and God's people are revived, it impacts the world. When God's people pray, God answers. Psalm 85, 6 again. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? I woke up one Saturday in September this year with a deep concern for the state of our state, the state of our church, the state of 
um, the church in North America. I just was so concerned about the states and our nation. And this wasn't the first time that I've woken up and been concerned and been praying about revival and the need for revival in the church. In the margins of my Bible, right here by Psalm 85.6, I've got a note from 2018 when I was praying and we were praying for renewal in Grand Rapids Classes North, the group of churches that this church is a part of. In April 1, 2019, when I was on sabbatical, I was praying at Oral Roberts University in their prayer tower. I spent a whole afternoon praying for every member of this church for revival. I was praying for revival and renewal in our classes, our denomination, the work of kingdom congregations, and for the churches worldwide. In November of 2021, last year, Several of us were down, um, Anna, Neil was there, um, Pastor Dave, down at the Community of the Cross in North Carolina, something that was called the Next Great Awakening, a powerful time of praying for the Lord to cause the church to rise up in strength and in power, that he would bring revival and renewal, that he would work among the youth of our church and that the glory of God would shine. Now, again, this fall... Many of us are seeing the seriousness of this hour and our great need for revival and spiritual awakening. And as I've prayed daily for the church and for renewal and for revival over the past three weeks, I have sensed that what's happening in the world is not going to change until what happens in the church changed, until the church is renewed and revived I feel like that the chaos, the violence, the division, it's all symptoms. And, of course, what else is it going to be until they know that there's a loving God and that they're transformed and they're conformed into his righteousness? And Second Chronicles 7:14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. I want to tell you about the church praying. I want to remind you, some of you know this story well, but from the mid-1850s, there was a man, Jeremy Lanfear, from the reform stream of churches in New York City. And at that time, the United States was in a political, a spiritual, and economic decline. Civil war seemed to be near because of agitation over slavery. Financial panic had hit. Banks failed. Railroads went bankrupt. Factories closed. Unemployment increased. Churches had been steadily losing members, and church members at that time were described as listless. He went around trying to visit them, trying to inspire, trying to get some momentum that the Lord would stir up something, and listless. Think about what is listless. Kind of like failure to thrive, like just, blah. All right? That's the, that's the situation. Do you hear any situa- like any parallels to our situation in this country today? Well, he felt led to start a noon prayer meeting. And many of you know the details, and I don't have time to tell all the details. There's videos about this and stories. You really should read it or check it out. But he started by himself, and then a few joined him. 
And then all of a sudden the stock market crashed and people started flocking to the prayer meetings. Within six months, 10,000 people were gathering for daily prayer. The prayer meetings and the revivals spread across the nation. Lay people, not church leaders, were leading the meetings. Prayer was the predominant activity rather than preaching. And the meetings themselves were very informal. Any person could pray, speak, lead a song, give a word of testimony. There was just a five-minute limit so that there was opportunity for everybody that wanted to share. As a result of these prayer meetings, backsliders returned, people came to Christ, conversions increased, and Christians were desiring deeper discipleship. Families established daily devotions. Entire communities underwent a noticeable change in their morals. Preaching that had become very intellectual and lifeless suddenly was focused on the gospel and Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And what started as a small prayer meeting, God ushered, used to usher in revival that went across this nation and a spiritual awakening that went to many other countries, some of them Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, Europe, South Africa, India, Australia, and the Pacific Islands. James Buchanan of Scotland summarized it in this way. He said, new spiritual life was imparted to the dead and new spiritual health imparted to the living. Do we need this today? We do need this today. This story shows the grace that's available to us now, here, again, in the United States of America. There's spiritual, political, economic decline. Our churches are in decline, and God only knows what's ahead for this nation. But I sense him saying that if he can do it in New York City, he can do it right here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. If we we would just stop and we would prioritize prayer, will you not revive us again? that your people might rejoice in you. That's when a church and people gather corporately and pray. Friends, also God answers prayer when we pray individually. I want to go back to that story I was telling you about Dr. William McKay, the ER physician. His mother often prayed for her son. And I wonder how many of you are praying for somebody that you love. You're praying daily. You're waiting, you're watching, you know that there needs to be revival, you know there needs to be restoration. Maybe it's even you yourself needs to be revived and restored. I want to share the rest of the story about Dr. McKay's life because I think it's going to be encouragement for all of us. Dr. McKay was still working in the ER, and one day a young man who was a mason, he had been up on high scaffolding, and he fell down. He had very serious injuries, and after he was assessed, the doctor said, you're not going to make it. And so all that Dr. McKay could do was to try to keep this young man comfortable. And he asked the young man, do you have any relatives that we can notify of your injuries? And he said, no, sir, I'm alone in this world, but would you please let my landlord, landlady know because I owe her some money if you could ask her to come and also ask her to bring my book. And um, Dr. McKay said, well, what book? And he said, just tell her to bring the book. She'll know. So anyway, he did pass on that um, request. 
Dr. McKay, this is how the ER is different. This young man stayed in ER all these days. (laughs) He wasn't transferred anywhere else. All right, so every day Dr. McKay is going in several times a day, and he notices that this young man seems to be calm. And um, Dr. McKay is suspicious that this young man also is a Christian, but he doesn't want to talk to the young man or anybody else about it. Well, the landlady brought this young man's Bible in, and um, the young man read it constantly. And when he got to the point that he could no longer read his Bible, he just laid it on his chest and hugged it. When you know God, you love his word. After one week, that young man died. And the nurse called Dr. McKay down to fill out the paperwork and pronounce him dead. And as um, Dr. McKay and the nurse were in the room, the nurse said, what should I do with this Bible? And Dr. McKay said he didn't have any relatives. He said, why don't you give it to me and I'll dispose of it. So he gets that Bible. And while the nurse is doing a few other things, Dr. McKay opens the Bible, curiously just looks in it a little bit, and suddenly just shuts it tight. And the nurse said, is everything okay? And he said, yes, I'm going to my office. You can call me there if you need me. He goes down to his office. He sits down at his desk. He opens the Bible. And there's his name written in the Bible and the verse that his mother had written in the front of his Bible. That young man apparently had purchased his Bible from the pawn shop. And so Dr. McKay started looking through the Bible that was well-worn and marked up, and some of the pages were loose. And all of a sudden, the verses that he had learned as a child, like he started to recognize, and suddenly he was pierced to the heart, and he said, God, I am so sorry. Forgive me for my sins and restore the joy of my salvation. And soon after he, Dr. McKay, prayed this prayer, he wrote a hymn that might be familiar to some of you, and it's called Revive Us Again. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. We praise thee, O God, for thy spirit of light, who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and has cleansed every stain. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled. With fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. God's righteousness goes before and prepares the way for revival. God loved Dr. McKay. God loves you. God loves those that you're praying for. God loves this world. And I feel like the Lord would just ask us today, will you pray 
until you see breakthrough come. Will you pray? And if the Lord shows you that you're miserable in your sin, would you repent? And would you receive the restoring, reviving work of God in your life? And will we pray together to see faithfulness rise up in response to God's righteousness so that he changes and revives and restores his church for his glory? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, move, stir our hearts, cause us to long for your glory to fill the earth. Cause us to long for your righteousness to mark our lives. Cause us to long for your holiness. Cause us to hate disintegration and chaos. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal your loving kindness afresh to us. In Jesus' name, amen.